Hey, this is Josh Herrera, and I'm the pastor of Lighthouse Church North County, and this is our podcast. Wherever you are and however you are listening, I want to say thank you for tuning in to what we are teaching at Lighthouse. Our desire is that these messages would help you to fulfill your God-given potential. If this message impacts you, share it with someone you know. We are on this journey together, becoming more like Jesus, one day and one step at a time. Now here's today's message. We hope it blesses you. With our next part of Shovel and Spear. All right. This is our, our, our last installment. We've been doing Shovel and Spear since August. And we've been in the books of Ezra. We've been in the books of Nehemiah. So if today, after the service, you're feeling like, man, that was some good stuff. I, I wish I would have caught the, the earlier messages. Then I encourage you to go back to YouTube and you can catch every single message in this series. We're going to go now to the book of Nehemiah chapter 7. We're going to read the first four verses and then we're going to conclude this series and start a brand new series next Sunday. Y'all ready to put a ribbon on this thing? Let's put a bow on it. Here we go. Nehemiah chapter 7 verses 1 through 4. Now when the wall had been built, come on, somebody say finally. They were working on this wall. Now when the wall had been built and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers the singers, and the Levites had been appointed. I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem. For he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, let not the gates of Jerusalem be open until the sun is hot and while they are standing guard. Let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts, and some in front of their own homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had yet been rebuilt. For the next few moments, I want to talk to you on this final thought in this series that I'm calling Lessons from the Wall. Lessons from the Wall. Let's take a moment and pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for how you have so powerfully moved in this place already. We thank you, God, for every person that has found their way to church on this beautiful Sunday morning. God, we ask now that you speak to us. We open up our hearts. We open up our minds to receive your word. Father, I pray that we would have a posture of learning to really soak in what your word is going to say right now. God, as I speak, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do a deep work in every heart. I speak, Lord God, but it's really your spirit that brings application and impact into every person. So I pray, God, that you would do that in our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Give me the Lord one more round of applause. Lessons from the wall. Church, if I'm honest with you, there's probably about four sermons that I can pull out of these four verses that I just read, but I'm not going to keep you here for four hours, okay? Some of you are like, thank God, all right? But I do need about 30 minutes of your time, and I want to pull some, some truth here as we now finish this series and, and, and finish the job. Somebody say, finish the job. You know, in my career, before I was working in full-time vocational ministry, I was uh, a subcontracts manager for a company called Northrop Grumman. I was a buyer for a company called Cubic Defense um, Applications. And so for 10 years, I was working corporate, and I was working in supply chain. And in supply chain, I I learned this really early on when I was a buyer and and later a subcontracts manager. Your job's not done until the job is done. And, and I continue to lead that way. Sometimes I'll ask someone like, hey, did, did we get this thing ordered? Yep, the order was placed. Great. When does it arrive? Uh, it's set to arrive on Wednesday. Great. You got a tracking number. Well, they said it arrived on Wednesday. You better track that mug. We, I need to know. I need, I need confirmation. Did you get a tracking number? 
Okay, I got a tracking number. What does it say? It's not coming until Thursday. Yeah, that's why I got you get a tracking number. We got to make sure that the job gets done. And so this was the environment that I really just had my, my, I chipped my teeth in this environment where, you know, anything that, any product that I was in charge of bringing in-house, the job was not done until the product actually came in. Sometimes I'd have to be there on the shipping docks waiting and watching because I, I used to order like big, big, big things. You know what I mean? Like I, I used to order the telecommunications equipment that would be both in the drones and on the ground. Sometimes things that I ordered required an actual, um, it, it actually required a construction on the ground. And I ordered from a company called L3 Communications. If you know what L3 is, that was one of my subcontractors managing millions and millions of dollars of government contracts. All that to say, you had to make sure the job got done. Your, my job was not done until the job got done. And, and here in Nehemiah, I, I see some of that because now that the walls had been finished, he doesn't kick up his feet and decide, okay, we're done. He doesn't wait until the walls are finished and says, all right, I'm out. Deuces, everybody. Have a good time. He had to make sure that now that the wall was done, he had to make sure that everything was complete. He had to make sure that there was structure. He had to make sure that there were systems. He had to make sure that there was authority. He had to make sure that all of that stuff was done. Somebody say, finish the job. All right, so in 52 days, they finished the work, but now here in Nehemiah chapter 7, they had to address a bigger issue, and they had to address the issue of now that they had the walls built and they put the doors up. If you were here last Sunday, we talked about how they had, they had, uh, they had uh, the, the post gates without doors. Well, now that the doors are finally up, you might think, okay, the doors are up, but now you might like, no, 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 now I need watchmen. Now I need to set people who are going to be in charge and people who are going to have both the authority and the responsibility. And that's what we pick up in Nehemiah chapter seven. So in Nehemiah chapter seven, it's beautiful the way that this is laid out because there's a system to everything. He says, now that I set the wall and, and, and now that the doors have been put in their place, I positioned the singers and I positioned, I positioned the Levites. I positioned the singers and I positioned the Levites. Somebody say worshipers. Back in those days, worshipers were not trained just in singing and just in, in praise and worship, but those that led worship were also trained in battle. You see, it was the job of the worship leader and the worshipers to protect the temple. They, 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 they weren't just there in the green room sipping on coffee and eating grapes. No, no, no. If, if anyone tried to mess with the temple, it was the worshipers that you had to contend with. If anyone tried to, if anyone tried to raid the temple, it was the job of the Levites to protect the temple. This is why in the Old Testament, before they would go out to battle, who would the king send first? The worshipers. The worshipers were always the first line of defense, even in battle. That might be a little bit of a contrast to some of the worshipers that we deal with today. I'm not going to get too much into that. But just know that the first line of defense was the worshipers. So I like seeing Jimmy up here. You know, he's like, you want that guy protecting you, right? You real masculine, buff guy up here. I don't mind any of that because it was the worshipers. They were the first line of defense. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Worship is our weapon. There's a great application in there. Worship then becomes our weapon. The reason that they first set the worshipers and the reason that Nehemiah said, I got to protect the temple was the first thing they built 
was the temple. When they first got back to Jerusalem after leaving Babylon as exiles, they built the temple before they built the walls. They wanted to make sure that the house of God was the first thing built and furnished before anything else got built and furnished. And, and, and we read here and we make the application that worship is our weapon. I don't know if you know that, but worship puts you on the offense. Let me tell you, worship is a way that sets your life and gets you into this place where you realize that even though I might be going through a difficult time right now, if I can keep on worshiping, I can make it through this trouble. Even though all hell might be breaking loose in my home, as long as I got worship coming out of my mouth, I know I'm going to make it through this trial. I know that I'm going to make it through this struggle. I know that I'm going to make it through this difficult situation that I'm going through. Look at your neighbor and tell him, don't ever lose your worship. You might be thinking, it's just singing, it's just talking. Is it really that powerful? Absolutely. Here's what the Bible teaches us about our voice and our mouth. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart speaks the mouth. So whatever's coming out of a person is what is lodged inside of their heart. But I also know that what you begin to say begins to be, what you begin to say and declare shapes your heart, shapes your heart and your mind. Okay, what I mean by that is this. sometimes you come to church and you don't feel like worshiping. Sometimes you come to church and you don't feel like singing. You don't feel like praying. You, you don't feel like opening up your mouth. Can I tell you that if you begin to open up your mouth, if you begin to praise, if you begin to worship, now your mouth is sending the signal back to your heart and up into your mind that this is what we do when, when, the, we're, when we go through the middle of hell. We worship anyway. This is what we do even when things aren't going our way we worship anyway and i love that the bible teaches that because if you study psychology and if you begin to actually study the brain and study the mind the more the the more you speak something the more you begin to declare something the more you begin to think on certain things you begin to create new neurological pathways in your mind so you can absolutely change your brain change your mind by what you think and what you say and what you declare I don't know if you knew that. I love it when you see the scriptures and you see it, uh, you see it manifested in science as well. You can create new neurological pathways simply by changing your thoughts. And there is so much power when you begin to say, you know what? I'm going to worship anyway. I'm going to worship even though things don't feel good right now. I'm going to declare it anyway. King David said it this way. I've learned to encourage myself in the Lord. I love that. King David said, when, when nobody was there to pick me up, I picked myself up. How did I do that? I just encouraged myself. I worshiped anyway. Come on, tell your neighbor, worship anyway. Sometimes you just got to worship anyway. You can't wait for the situation to be perfect. You just got to worship anyway. That's when your worship becomes a weapon because you walk into the tent on a Sunday. The enemy has messed with you all throughout Monday through Saturday. And he thinks when he gets you into the tent, you're going to go through the motions and you're not going to have any real connection with God. But when you begin to worship, you confuse the hell out of the devil. He was the world. Why are they still worshiping God? Why? Because worship has become your weapon. Yeah, some of you got offended by that. He brings hell into your life, right? And so you push through that through you push through that through your worship. Here's another thing we learn. Paul says in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, one of the names that's been given to the enemy is he's the prince of the air. Somebody say the air. And because he now has dominion over the air, because he's the prince of the air, your worship shreds the air. 
See, you can think it, but when you say it, when you begin to say greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, when you begin to declare that I am the head and not the tail, when you begin to say that no weapon formed against me shall be able to prosper, you are shredding the air with your worship. You are literally shredding the dominion of the enemy. He may be the prince of the air, but when you speak up, you step into his realm and say, no, 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 I'm taking authority in this situation right now, and I'm going to worship in spite of everything that's going on in my life. Shred the air with your worship. But pastor, I'm just so reserved. You're not when the Chargers are playing. I mean, you're not when you're in the taco line. I mean, you're like, ah, let me get eight with everything. You come on now. I, I don't. That one hit home, huh? It's so true story. Remember when we had our guest preacher, Manny Arango, here with me? And, um, you know, that, that, that guy's never been down to San Diego. He's never had anything like tacos. You know what I mean? I, take him to, I took him to Tacos El Gordo down there in Chula Vista. You know, we're going to do it. And I'm like, all right, Manny, how many you want? He goes, get me three. I'm like, I said, brother, you're getting eight. No, I'm not. I can't eat eight. You're going to eat eight. And then you're probably going to want some more after that. Sure enough, I ordered him eight. He downed that eight fast. I mean, fast. And he thought he was brave. He ate a chile afterwards. I put it on Instagram. He burned his mouth. I sent him home. A full heartburn mouth, you know what I'm saying? But it was like, anyway, I've totally digressed. But some, sometimes we, I, I don't understand when, when, when people will come to church and get reserved. It's like, you are not that person outside of church. Just be you when you come to church, okay? Just, just be you. If, if, if you were a little wild and a little crazy out there, you can be a little wild and be a little crazy in here, okay? If you're out of order, we'll let you know, all right? We'll reel you in, but you go for it, okay? You go for it. The other thing that worship is, worship is really our line of communication with God. Worship is our line of communication with God. So is worship prayer? Yes. Is worship singing? Yes. Is worship shouting? Yes. Can I worship in my car? Yes. Can I worship while I run? Yes. Any place that you invite the presence of God into and you begin to commune with him, that's an act of worship. As a matter of fact, some of my, my greatest messages, some of my greatest sermon thoughts and ideas have come when I've been in the middle of exercise. I'll never forget this one time. Uh, this was when in, in the previous church that I was a part of, we were really struggling with what we were going to do with our whole Easter series. And then we needed something that was going to pop, something that was going to hit. And we had been praying, pastor been praying, I've been praying, youth pastor been praying. We're all like, what, what are we going to do? And I'll never forget, I was in the middle of a swim and I'm at the gym and I'm swimming, I'm doing laps. Once upon a time, I used to be a swimmer. And so I'm swimming laps and, and I'll never forget, like God did a download right in the middle of that swim because I, you know, I just kind of like, when you're swimming and you're just looking at a, a black line at the bottom of the pool, it gets very monotonous. Your mind is drifting. And so I was just like, God, what are we going to do with this series? And God gave me a download, like name, artwork, design, like promo. And it was like the weirdest thing. It's just a God thing where you direct download because I actually invited the presence of God right where I was. That's why you get me alone in my car. People are like, do you like driving from Chula Vista to North County? I don't mind it because I'll get into the worship. I'll allow the presence of God to come inside my car and I'll just spend some quiet times with me and Jesus. So, so worship is your weapon. Look at your neighbor and tell them, tell them that one more time. Worship is your weapon. Invite them into your day. Invite them into your day all throughout. All throughout. The first thing Nehemiah did when the walls were done, he had to finish the job. So he said, okay, 
Let's put the Levites in this place. Let's get the singers appointed. Let's get the worshipers where they're at. Let's make sure that they're everywhere that they need to be. Now, the next thing that happened was Nehemiah set rulers over the city. He selected, he selected Hananiah and Hanani into leadership positions. And, and we read here, this is the reason he chose them. I'm going to read it to you one more time. I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle charge over Jerusalem, for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. He put them in charge because they were more faithful and God-fearing than anyone else. If you're taking notes, write this down. Your closeness to God positions you to lead. Your closeness to God positions you to lead. I'm going to make some statements here. I'm going to message you, okay? You might not have heard this before. I am a firm believer that as a Jesus follower, you should excel in leadership and authority wherever you go. Wherever you go. Listen to me, Lighthouse. If you kill it here on Sundays, but you're the worst employee at your job, something's wrong. Something's broken. Don't be in here being the most on-fire dream team member, but the laziest employee at your job. There's a problem there. Anything you put your hand to do should be blessed because you touched it. Because you touched it. I firmly believe that as Jesus followers, you ought to be the best employees wherever you work. And if you're the business owner, you should excel. I 100% firmly believe that. And let me dive into this for just a second. I believe that your mission field, your primary mission field is your job, your community, your social groups. That's your mission field, Lighthouse. Some of you like, didn't even realize God made you a missionary to wherever it is you work, okay? So some, so some of you are a missionary to Albertsons. You're a missionary to Vons. You're a missionary to, to whatever. God placed you there as a missionary, and I want you to start seeing your work as holy. One of these days, I'm going to do a whole series on this because this is just too much stuff to cover in one series. But do, do you, do you need to treat your work as holy. You need to treat your work as holy. Here's the reason why. Your workplace is your primary place for spiritual growth. Let me explain that to you. I know you think you grow spiritually when you're in the tent. No, we're equipping you to go back there and grow. The, the, the evidence of the spirit of God in your life should be in your relationships. If you're a gossip, God's got a lot of work to do in you. If you're backbiting, you got a lot of growth. Oh, but pastor, I was speaking in tongues at the altar. Did you see me? I fell. Okay. I fell. I'm super close to God. No, nobody wants to have lunch with you at work because you're nasty. You're a gossip. You got a bad attitude. You show up late, you leave early, and everything you do is terrible. Does that look like the mark of a Jesus follower? I know it gets real quiet in this tent, but pastor, I cried. I don't care. <laughs> your place of spiritual growth is in your relationships with other people. So if you can't get along with your neighbors, if you can't get along with your coworkers, you have to start asking yourself, am I truly growing and becoming more like Jesus? Remember, the only people that Jesus upset were the religious folk. The sinners loved him. They did. That's why they said he was a friend of sinners. If the only people that like you are sitting up under this tent, you're doing it wrong. They love me at church, pastor. Why do all your coworkers hate you? Like, you got to start treating your work as well. Are you guys okay with this so far? You got to start treating your, because I really believe God equips you and sends you out there to go and make an impact in this world. I love that you make an impact in the tent, but I really want to see you make an impact where you work. 
I want to see you make an impact in your social groups. I want to see you make an impact with everyone else that you come in contact with. Make an impact wherever you go. I, I kind of shared the story that I, I, I started coaching my son's football team, and, and it was by default, but nonetheless, we're going to the championships because we, anything we put our hands to do is going to be blessed in Jesus' name. <laughs> anyway, moving on that. My point is this. I remember as I was talking to some of the parents that, that they were like, what is it that you do? That they were just like, what is it that you do? And when I tell them, I'm a pastor. Ah, that all makes sense now. I'm like, why do you say that? They're like, man, the way you have patience with those seven-year-olds, the way that you lead them on the field, the way that, you know, some of the coaches on the other teams, they're jerks. They don't have Jesus, okay? We do. So we need to act not be the jerks, all right? But, it's like, but like, you don't let them get under your skin. You're just calm, cool, collected. It's like, ah, it all makes sense now. Everything you put your hands to do should be seen as holy, and it is the work that God has commissioned you for. Listen to me. If I go to your coworker and I ask them, I'm just going to pick on Sam for just a moment, and I say, did you know that Sam's a Christian? If they say, no way. <laughs> Sam, 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 like, like Sam Garcia, Sam, no, he's not a Christian. You're doing it wrong. <laughs> if I say, go to your corker. I say, Sam's a Christian. Yeah, I already knew that. Man, he's incredible. He's such a loving person. He's just, he's just so passionate about his work. He always excels in what he does. He shows up on time. He does a great job. He's just a great person to be around. Come on. That's what a Jesus follower should look like. And, 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 and the reason Hanani and the reason Hananiah got set as the governors is because Nehemiah said they had closeness with God. And so he positioned them to lead. Your closeness with God will position you to lead. And, 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 and I'm not going to sit here and, and tell you about everything in my career, but I can tell you that all of the doors that opened for me in my career before I left it all and came and pastored this church, it was because of my closeness with God. And, and, and I was 33 years old, and I managed the largest subcontracts in all of San Diego. I was 33 years old, and I, and, and I managed over $400 million of my company's money at 33 years old. Why? Because of my closeness with God. Because of my closeness with God. It, everything, the degrees, whatever. People had degrees from more prestigious universities. But it was my closeness with God, and it opened up all kinds of doors. And when I told them that I was taking a leave of absence to come and build a church, they looked at me like I was crazy. They said, do you know where your career is going? Do you know what you can do? Do you know the money that you are leaving on the table? Absolutely, I do, because I'm going to pursue a calling now. So I left a career to pursue a calling. I'm not saying that's for everyone, but what I am saying is your closeness with God should position you to lead. Now, let's move on because we got two more points. And I got to wrap this up. The next thing we read is after Nehemiah, okay, he set the worshipers to protect the temple. He set Hanani to be the governor over of Jerusalem. The next thing we read is he gave them instructions about when they could open up the doors. He gave them instruction as to when the gates could be opened. And he told them this. He said, when you have clear visibility, when it is at the hottest part of the day, that's when you can open the doors. You can open up the doors only when you can see. You can open up your doors only when you've got a vision of what's ahead of you. So when it's foggy, when it's hazy, when it's damp, when it's dark, keep the gates closed. And here's the reason why. Write this down. What you give access to matters. What you give access to 
matters. The Bible says this, without vision, people cast off all restraint. Without vision, people perish. Listen, if you can't see clearly what's ahead of you, you will give access to anyone and anything, and they are people, and they are things that will pull you further from God's purpose for your life. Stop giving yourself access to the wrong things and the wrong people. Stop giving yourself access to things that is not in line with the vision of your life. This is why it's so important for you to get a vision for your life first and foremost. When you have a vision for your life, when you know your purpose, when you know what God has put you here on this earth to do, you're going to be very careful with how you open up those doors and those gates to your life. Do not let people into your life that are not life-giving. Do not let people into your hearts, listen to me, young person, if they don't share your values. Now, listen, I'm not saying to be standoffish. I'm not saying not to be friendly. I'm not, I, I, but what I am saying is that you need to know yourself and your vision so well that you will fiercely protect it. You can still be a missionary where you work and in all your relationships. I'm talking about what you let people, I'm talking about the access you get people into. I'm talking about the amount of access, the, the, the amount of influence you allow people into your life. I'll never forget this moment where I was uh, counseling someone who was going through a very difficult time in their marriage. And, and I was trying to give them counseling, trying to give them, uh, let them know you need to stand by the vows that you made at the altar. Well, but my, my spouse, they stopped, they stopped um, fulfilling the vows of the marriage and, and they've been doing all this. So, so I'm going to say, no, 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 you're not. You made a vow before God. And a, and a host of witnesses, and you honor your vow. If you guys are going to end up going in this direction, then you honor your vow until it's done. And it was hard advice. But then I realized that they were getting a lot of advice from, others, from, from someone else. I'm over here saying contend for your marriage, fight for your marriage, believe that God can do it. And meanwhile, they're over here talking to this other person that's on their fourth marriage, and they're like, just leave her, just divorce her, just move on out, just, you're better without her. Just, and I'm like, wait a second. Why am I having to fight with that joker, okay? I, I, and I had to be very blunt with them. I said, listen, you're giving yourself access to people that don't want to see the best for you. I'm over here telling you to fight for your marriage, and if you're not going to fight for your marriage, fight for your vows, and that guy's saying, give it all away. Like, why do you give that person that much access to your life? Clearly, their resume lets you know that's probably not someone that you should be talking to right now. Clearly, that's not someone that's whose advice you should be listening right to right now. Fight for that thing. Fight for your marriage. Fight for your vows. And if, and, 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 if, and if this thing doesn't work out, well, then, you know, start over. But in that moment, I was like, well, you made a vow. Yeah, but she broke her. I don't care. I'm talking about you right now. You made a vow. Be a man of your word. You honor your vows. And what all I'm saying is basically is this. When you have clarity, okay, when you have a vision, fiercely protect what you give access to. You guys with me, Lighthouse Church? Protect what you give access to. You can't just give access to anyone or anything. At work, and I'm coming to a close now. (laughs) It's funny because at the office, there was a guy that used to work for me at the church, and he's no longer with us, but he came up to me. He's like, Pastor, so-and-so said they wanted to do this, 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 and this here at the church. I'm like, okay. And I looked at him back like, what's the answer? He's like, well, the answer is no. Like, okay, so tell them no. No, but Pastor, you're better at saying no than I am. And I had to teach, I was like, are you kidding me right now? So I had to teach our team at the office, you say no to a good thing to say yes to a great thing. So sometimes the no's that you say, it's a, but it's a good thing. You say no to good things to say yes to great things. And there's times where it's just like, it's a hard no for me, man. It's a hard no. Oh, pastor, it should be a yes. No, I, I say yes to great things. Not, not everything is good is a great thing. 
And there's so much authority in your ability to just say no. And I'm great at saying it. My wife tells her, she's like, you're really good at saying no. Like, I am because I like great things. And it's not difficult for me. Because, again, I, I'm very protective with, with, with access, access. What, who, what am I giving my heart to? What am I giving my life to? Who has access? Because, again, if I'm giving access to people that are not going to push me closer to God, then they're going to pull me from God. Right. And then you need pastor to come pray for you. You know, we got to do deliverance ministry, all that stuff. It's like you, you knew the answer, and you said yes when you knew the answer was a no. All right, let me give you the last one here. So here's the last thing that Nehemiah did. He put the worshipers in their place, okay? He put the leaders in their place. He gave commands on when they opened the doors. And then the last thing he did was he set watchmen over the walls and over the gates. And he also said, he also set watchmen over the homes. And this is what he told the parents. He told all the adults in the room. He said, I'm commanding you to be the watchman over your home. I'm going to set up people that are going to protect the city, but I need you to be the watchman over your home. I need you to be responsible for your home. I need you to protect your home. Your ultimate responsibility, mom and dad, is to watch the home. So that's the last thing I want you to write down. Set watch over your home. Nehemiah is breaking this down, starting with the temple. Then we're talking about the, the, the city. Now we're talking about the gates. And then when he gets to the homes, he looks at all of the adults and he tells them, set a watch over your home. Protect your home. I can protect the city, but only you can protect your home. All the married people, if your spouse is next to them, would you tell them, protect your home? Go tell them that. We got to protect the home. If like I said, I could have I taken this and made four different sermons out of it. But the interest of time and the interest of the calendar, I didn't do that. <laughs> but listen to me, Lighthouse. More and more, and I'm going to be careful. I'm going to measure my words here because I don't want to offend people, even though everyone's easily offended in this day that we're living in right now. Too easily offended. But more and more, it is very obvious to see that people are trying to invade the homes and raise your children for you, teach your children for you. Let's talk to some parents who are like telling me all the craziness that's happening in public schools right now. And I, I tell the parents, then you need to do what you got to do to protect your child. And if that means you need to put your kid in a Christian school, homeschool them, charter school, figure it out. You, you need to figure it out. Because the stuff that is being taught to your child, I think more and more the world wants parents to be absent. And they will absolutely raise your child if you let them. You cannot be passive because the world will raise your child. And your kid will start saying things that you're like, wait a second, I don't believe that. Yeah, but my teacher told me. Wait a second, we don't teach you that. Yeah, but, that, but, but, but th this is what such and such athlete says and this is what such and such movie star teaches and this is what so and so time out they're not your mom they're not your dad matter of fact and i don't mean to be mean and degrading but they don't even have the credentials to speak into that they're not even like educated enough in that arena to speak into that arena 
I don't care because they have a lot of followers. They can speak into something they've got absolutely zero education and training about. This is why I tell you guys, don't let anyone who has not studied the Bible try to teach you what the Bible says. It's just like you get people saying, well, the Bible, wait a hold up. You know, find Nehemiah in the Bible for me first, and then let's have a conversation. <laughs> Same thing, right? I mean, like, I, I, don't hire a, I don't hire someone to come into my house and fix something that's broken, and then me look over their shoulder. You really ought to be doing this. Or really, I'm like, no, I don't know. I'm way out of my league. Way, I know when I'm out of my league. And yet, more and more, I believe this world would want you to be passive, would want you to be absent, would want for you to just let it go. So listen to me, mom and dad. You have got to fiercely protect your children. I started thinking about this. The last thing that I want for my son is to fit in with the world. I'm sorry, but if your son is fitting in, they look like everyone else and talk like everyone else. Don't be afraid if one day you wake up and they're just like everyone else and it's not what you thought want them to be. I'm not concerned about my son's being dressed to the T's. I'm not concerned about my son's having a lot of influence, a lot of followers. I, I, that, that ain't it. That, that's not it at all. I, I want my kids to grow up fearing God, first and foremost. I want my sons to know God. I want their life to be shaped by his plans and his purposes for them. And then whatever they go and they do with that, I know that the hand of God has so marked them. This is what Nehemiah said. He said, he says, and you watchmen protect your homes. And, and moms and dads, we'll probably do a whole series on this later. But let me tell you, moms and dads, set a watch over your home. Set a watch over your home. I was thinking about one of the things that my wife is doing with my son, Jaden, who's 11 years old, is she's reading the Bible with him. Like from Genesis, like she got a, a one-year Bible reading plan for 11-year-olds, okay? So it's, it's kind of like trimmed up in certain places. It's not every single verse, but it's an absolute Bible reading plan. And, and he's 11. And my wife's being super intentional about that because she's putting the word of God in his heart at 11 years old. He will, by, by the time we get to December 31st, he will have read the Bible through in a year at 11 years old, Okay. If you've never done that before in your life, 30, 40, let's make a 2020, 2022 resolution, okay? The 11-year-old boy can do it. You could do it. And, and, and that, it, that's the type of intention. I, I don't say that the problem my wife. What I'm saying is we have absolutely sold out into raising our kids in the knowledge of God, in the fear of the Lord. Because here's what I know about kids. I would rather my kid fear the Lord than to have my son wearing the best shoes than to have my son fitting in and to have my son's popularity be the most important things to me. Those aren't the best. The, the, and that might matter most to him, but that's not what's going to matter most to me. And the last thing I'm going to say is this. Parents, more is caught than what is taught. More is caught than what is taught. I'll, I'll, never, I'll never forget. This is the last thing I'm going to say, and then I'll be done. I'll, ne I'll never forget. I, 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 love, I love preaching from my, my, bank, my memory bank of everything that happens in my house. I'll never forget that my dad... Um, he finished his bachelor's degree, I think while I was in junior high. But I, I'll never forget seeing my dad persevere. I'll never forget seeing my dad study. I'll never forget seeing my dad juggle being a full-time employee. Great 
incredible father. I've told you guys just how incredible a job my dad did in raising me and my brothers, being a very present, incredible father. And then my dad realized if I want to excel in my career, I need to go finish school. So a little bit of backstory of my dad is that my, my grandfather passed away when my dad was just 13 years old. So from 13 on up, he was the oldest of seven kids and, and had to take a lot of responsibility that most 13, 14-year-olds shouldn't be taking on. And, and yet somehow he figured out in doing all of that that when he graduated high school, he needed to go to college. Now, again, in, you know, uh, you take it back a few years, that probably wouldn't be a high priority. And so my dad went to college. He, he, he went to Southwestern College, finished junior college, transferred up to San Jose State to start working on his, his undergrad. And he was going to persevere. He, he had a breakdown when he was in San Jose State because he was having to work full time and go to school full time. So some, some of you right now, if you got a parent that's paying for you to go to college straight up, you better thank your mom and dad because that is a blessing. All right? and, they, and mom and dad, there ain't no shame in paying for your kids. That don't, don't feel like they need to go do both. You, you, you wrestle with that on your own. But my wife and I decided that if we can pay for our kids to get through college and not have to worry about working until they finish, then praise God for that. But, but my dad hit a wall when he was in, in San Jose State, went to Bible college, came back, married my mom, had, had um, some incredible kids. I'm the best one, but that's not the point. Um, <laughs> The impact of seeing my dad finish school, and then I'll never, again, I got these memories. I have these, I have, I have a, it's like a Rolodex sometimes, but I had this memory of my, my dad getting picked up by his friend Art, and Art was a single guy, and my dad, you know, raising four kids, and Art was younger and single. He shows up to my dad's house driving a BMW, I think it's a Z3 or a Z5, one of those two-seater convertibles, and they're off to go to the graduation together, and my mom would take me and my brothers to the graduation because they had to get there early, and my dad, like, comes running, you know, he's a little younger back then, a little fitter back then, so he, he literally comes running, and, like, he, like, hops into, you know, the Z5, he hops did you this E5, like Starsky and Hutch, you know what I'm saying? It's like, like, whoo, you know, just did one of those. It's good days, right, Dad? Um, so it's like, hopped in, and off they go. But from that moment going forward, finishing my college education was never even an option. Like, I just knew, like, if my dad's going to do it, I'm going to do it. And I got it done, because I caught something in that moment. All right, Mom and Dad, let your parents catch you serving God with all of your heart. Let your kids catch you giving your life to things that matter. Let your kids catch you being kind and generous with others. Let your kid catch you doing those things because I promise you they are watching. I'm up here 41 years old and I can still see my dad studying. I can still see my dad graduating and it fueled me to do the same. Because so much more is caught than what is taught. So parents, set a watch over your home. Set a watch over your home. I want you to stand together. We're going to wrap this up right now. But this is how Nehemiah finished the job. Worship is your weapon. Your closeness to God prepares you for leadership. You need to be careful what you give access to. And number four, set a watch. If you're a young person here, you're like, I don't know if there's anything applicable with mom and dad. No, no, no. Set a watch over your life. Because trust me, if you can figure this out when you're young, you'll have it together when you're older and you have your own kids, if you can learn this thing right now. But as we bring this series to a close, and I hope this series is blessed. There's been so much in this whole series, Shovel and Spear. Come on, have you learned something through this whole, we've been in this since August. So I just feel to pray for you. I think in those four areas, you might find yourself there. This worship team's coming up. 
Maybe you need to do a little better job in the parenting department. Let's pray about that, okay? Maybe you need to do a better job in what you give access to. Let's pray about that. Maybe, maybe you're very moody with your worship, not as consistent as you could be. Let's pray about that. Or maybe you, 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 feel, like, you feel like you need to develop your closeness with God. Let's pray about that. So wherever you're at, would you lift your hands and let's pray in these final moments together. Father, in the name of Jesus, I believe that you have spoken to us today. I believe, God, that as I've spoken, the Holy Spirit has just deposited into every heart right now. I believe you've challenged people. You've provoked people. You, you, you've set a challenge before them. God, I just pray in our final minutes together that you would just begin to reveal those areas that need to be changed. You begin to reveal those areas, Lord God, where we need your spirit to work. You begin to reveal those areas, Lord God, where we've got to get better. And I pray, God, that we would see that so that we could finish the job. All of that said, Father, so that we could finish the job. You're doing an incredible thing in and through this church, and I believe you're doing an incredible thing in the life of every person here. But my prayer today, Lord God, is that we would continue to complete the Bible says that, that we would become that we would become the full measure and the full stature and the likeness of God. And I pray that every day, Lord God, we would find these areas of growth, live them up, live them out, rise to the occasion, and become more of the man and more of the woman that you've called us to become. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, let's enter into a time of worship together, Lighthouse. Right there where you're at. Come on, would you just raise your hands and worship together with us? If this message has blessed your life, I want to encourage you to share this message with others or go online to our website and consider making a donation so that we can continue bringing you content just like today's message. God bless you.